Hello, Got It In The World listeners. This is one of your co-hosts, Casey Corona. And today we are discussing the interview with one of our other co-hosts, Amanda Faye Laxon. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Casey. This project is of a Goddard Alumni Council, and we're highlighting the Goddard Alumni accomplishments out in the world. Obviously, having Amanda with us today for her interview is pretty incredible. Um, I've just gotten to know Amanda a little bit <laughs> over the last, um, <clears throat> what, year? Year and a bit, Amanda? So um, yeah. it was so wonderful um, to be able to interview you and to know more about your journey and your history. But, you know, it's just... Uh, been incredible to see, even though we were in different programs, for us to really connect. So um, before we kind of go into your your sort of uh, interview a little bit and, and talk about the, the, the interview, I just love that you are living in the middle of New York during COVID. And you, you talked about in your last, <laughs> you talked about our last one with Mike about, you know, going to Korean barbecue and the sort of oh, um, yeah. wild um, sort of life you're living with your husband and everything. Um, you know, and then your work is, 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 um, so interesting with, um, you know, just with, uh, you know, families and their histories and their voice and the place. And so I wanted to just ask you, because I've never been to New York City, and I think some of us um, haven't, um, what's what's the experience like living in such a multicultural, uh, diverse, lively, you know, space and environment, and then doing so um, in something like a pandemic? And like, mm. so what's, what's it like to, I mean, I imagine it's just, there's a lot of sort of um, anxiety, but also creativity. And so what's the energy like? Because it's it's really incredible to live in such a, um amazing space. So yeah, what's that like, Amanda? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so obviously, it is quite different now because of the pandemic. Um, some of my favorite things to do are closed, like the theater, like going to the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Curtis and I, my husband Curtis and I used to go to a show or, or a friend of mine and I, we would go to shows at least like once a month um, or not, maybe not at least once a month. <laughs> that sounds very <laughs> privileged. Um, but we would go like several times a year, definitely more than most people. And so we're very fortunate in that we could um, take advantage of that, take advantage of the culture. I started college up here at Pace University, which is all the way downtown in the financial district. Mm -hmm. And I was studying art history. And one of the reasons that I chose New York was because for art history, you have the Metropolitan Museum of Art, you have the MoMA, and you know, the, the Whitney is also a wonderful museum. And I haven't been to any of those lately. Um, like, I was a member at MoMA and the Met, um, but you know that's that's what happens. It it is. It's February 2021, and it's it's just been a while. But pre-pandemic, and 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 it will happen again. Uh, pre-pandemic, one of my favorite things about living in New York was that is that. It's out there. I I am kind of a homebody, yeah. so so quarantining wasn't a huge deal for me. But um, I always loved knowing that if I wanted to, I could just go outside and 
find something amazing to do wow. or something some some amazing concert is happening or exhibit to go see and it was just all there and now obviously a lot of people are like oh man we should have taken more advantage of that right. i'm not worried about that like i i know it's going to come back um new york is just one of my favorite places i I've, I've been here for oi <laughs> um well, it's so I started college up here in 98. <laughs> um, I left for two years. And so, so I don't know, do that math. I, I, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been here consistently since 2003. So 18 years. Um, but you know, three years before that. So yeah, I mean, it it's, it is everything, all the cliches that everyone says. Right. It's vibrant. It's diverse. Um, you can get any food you want and usually at any time, wow. although that's different at the moment. Um, and <laughs> this is, I, I know this is our podcast and um, that we can swear on it. I usually try not to just because <laughs> whatever, but um, there was this thing that somebody wrote about in, I don't know, a blog called uh, saying that one of the things she missed about New York uh, pre-pandemic was the New York, quote unquote, fuck around. <laughs> and, what, and when I read it, I'm like, oh, my God, yes. And what that is for our listeners is you go you go do an errand or you have a doctor's appointment somewhere and maybe you get there a little early or afterwards and you just kind of walk around and see where the days take you. One of my favorite urban hikes, <laughs> I like to call them, is just walking and following the street lights. And so oh, if, wow. there's, if there's a red light, you know, I just turn down the other street <laughs> or the other block and then you just kind of walk around and see what happens, you know, and you, you'll probably be around stores. I'm in Manhattan, so, so it's pretty easy to do that um, over here. But yeah, I mean, my friends and I used to meet downtown, like in the Lower East Side, East Village area, and we would have one place that we would go to that, that we planned to meet at uh, for lunch or usually lunch, like late, late lunch. And then we would just kind of walk around and see, you know, maybe do some window shopping somewhere or actual shopping right. and then find a wine bar or whatever. And so... That is just like one of the my favorite things about New York. Um, yeah, that's so amazing. That, yeah, I mean that's so like yeah. alive and so mm -hmm. much going on and like that urban hiking and that kind of those kind of elements are like you yeah. know so foreign to people who are not in like a major metropolitan area or a place yeah, like New York yeah. with kind of food and art and history and so many different people and diverse. I mean, for people watching, I mean. It's, it's got to be just an incredible space, you know, to hear. And I'm sure mm. that's just inspired you as well, being in that space. And you're really a New Yorker in that regard with, you know, your archiving business <laughs> and the art element that you have in your work and writing. I mean, all of that must be really quite inspirational always. So, um, well, we really look forward to, um, you know, having our listeners hear your interview and your history and your, um, you know, your journey, um, both in New York and um, throughout before Goddard and during Goddard and what you're doing now 
with your your family history, your archiving work, um, and um, just the really incredible things that are happening. So, Amanda, um, we we look forward to uh, you know um, sharing this and your journey with the world. So, thanks so much for your space and your time, and for all the amazing work you're doing with this podcast. Thank you, Casey. Hey, welcome alumni. My name is Casey Corona. I will be hosting this podcast with our first guest this morning, and that's Amanda Laxon, a fellow alumni uh, committee member. And we're hosting this podcast together, and we really are excited about doing this. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Casey. Amanda, it's been so nice to work with you over the last uh, year on the on the on the um, alumni council. Um, do you want to just give a little short introduction of yourself, real quick? Sure. My name is Amanda Laxon. I have been a member of the alumni council since its inception. Um, I think two years ago. Um, or its current inception, I should say, because there have been different versions of it before. But I helped write the charter for the current inception. And um, before that, I was the regional chapter chair for New York City area, um, New York and slightly surrounding. <laughs> we extend to tri-state area, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, um, and Long Island and all of that. So... Um, yeah, uh, let's see. I graduated Goddard um, 2010 from the Individual Master of Arts program, the IMA, which I believe is now incorporated into GGI. And what else? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, interesting enough, you and I kind of graduated similar times. We had the similar, you know, we didn't cross paths. But, um, you know, um, I guess real quick, you know, your study at the MIA, uh, IMA, um, we won't focus solely on this, Amanda, but what did you study when you were at, at Goddard? Sure. I studied romantic love, mythology, women's studies, psychology a little bit. Uh, my thesis was on unveiling, it, it was called Unveiling Aphrodite, Examining the Mythology of Romantic Love. And I was interested in that. Uh, I first got into Goddard because I was thinking about how we can use, uh, identify and use mythology to understand our contemporary life. And the reason I started thinking about that was because I had had a relationship, uh, my first love. He died um, after we had stopped seeing each other, but it still kind of rocked my core. And I was reading a lot, I was studying a lot, um, I was writing a lot, and writing a lot about love. And um, the term that I came across from like my old journals from when we were dating, I was 19 at the time, um, that, that he and I were dating. I remember coming across this term soulmate. Um, I called him my soulmate, but I didn't unpack that at all. Mm -hmm. And in, in my journal and I'm like, 
that's interesting because I never used it again. I read all the journals and I'm <laughs> like, why did I say that? You know, and usually if, if I had had a conversation with him, I would have talked about it in my journal, um, about soulmates, but like I had no recollection of having this discussion. Um, and so I, looked at different definitions of soulmates. I polled my friends, um, most of who knew him, um, but just, yeah, like different high school friends, college friends, for their definition of soulmate. And um, I called that the Soulmate Project, and I was blogging about it on <laughs> myspace.com. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, just to interrupt real quick, Amanda, uh, Amanda had briefly told me about this before, and she said, you know, the Soulmate Project. And I said, if that's not fucking Goddard, I don't know what is, <laughs> you know. Um, she was doing Goddard before Goddard um, yeah. and with this stuff. It's, it's pretty amazing. It was drawn to that kind of world even before doing that, which I think is what a lot of our alumni feel. You know, it was not that as if um, Goddard was some kind of revelation. It was more as though it was a process and who the transformation of who they are and who they become, and it just uh, it just finds its way through your your soul and your existence. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's you were you were blogging about that tragedy, love. You were nineteen. It's interesting. Yeah. I I can't wait to hear a little bit more about um, in your current relationship and all that like how soulmate defines and changes and you know do you feel similarly now that you did then i imagine it feels and changes um pretty rapidly yeah definitely it was interesting because um the soulmate project is what brought me to goddard because i was kind of thinking on a macro scale like the, these myths, um, the the myth of the soulmate this this idea of the soulmate how do they how does this affect my idea of rom- like what I want out of romantic love um, and, or how I experience romantic love? And mm-hmm. so, um, but on the macro level, like how do myths make us, you know, affect us in our mm-hmm. daily lives? So, yeah. Um, and what... You know, I could have just written about that for a while, but I wanted to know how I could help bring that to other people. You know, how could I, like, make a workshop or, you know... I I, I, I didn't quite know what it was going to look like, if it was, like, a writing workshop or, you know, therapeutic practice. (laughs) I I didn't know. Um, So I... I applied to two schools. Uh, one was for grad school. One was Pacifica Graduate School out in California, out in Santa Barbara. They um, they have a mythological studies MA PhD. Um, they hold Joseph Campbell's archives, and mm. Joseph Campbell was a huge influence on you know my yeah. thinking at the time. And so that was definitely my first priority you know that that was the school I thought I was going to go to um Goddard was my backup (laughs) (laughs) you know sorry (laughs) sorry Goddard um but yes Goddard was my backup um and I I visited both I'm again sorry Goddard Santa Barbara is like has a 
a very unique beauty that um, <laughs> March in Vermont <laughs> does not. Um, drastically so, different. Drastically different, you know, like you you drive up to, I, I mean, I did, like I flew into LA and I drove up to Santa Barbara to visit uh, Carpenter, it's Carpinteria, but it's like right outside of Santa Barbara. Um, and it is the drive that you see in movies. <laughs> right. Santa Barbara Film. is where the rich people go. <laughs> so it's just kind of like in the hills, overlooking the ocean and it's like, you know, it is whatever. beautiful. Yeah. It's insane. And so, <laughs> so yeah, so driving, not that Goddard isn't like lush and beautiful, um, but the orientation was like in March of... <laughs> You know, mud season that year and it's not this is not the time to shine <laughs> like, this is not the the era in which or the time of the year that optominal yeah not optominal they really should have all orientate goddard orientations <laughs> in like foliage season you know? That's right. <laughs> only only late september early october yeah exactly so so i visited both um and um Goddard, again, like, you know, the, the orientation was great. Um, it was really interesting, but uh, I didn't quite understand, like, if you don't have a curriculum, because I was super into, like, syllabi and, like, reading <laughs> courses, like, course descriptions and getting excited about that. I was like, if you don't have a syllabus, then what, how am I supposed to study here? Um, I don't even quite understand. Um, but I, I kept it, you know, I like got, I got accepted and I was like, okay, that's nice. You know, like, let's see. And then I got accepted into, um, Pacifica. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I had talked to the Dean of Admissions, you know, like we were like all getting along and I got an award letter too. Like, um, but... (laughs) Romantic love. Romantic love. The romantic love project. Yeah, I met um, someone who who is currently now my husband, Um, Mm -hmm. and so we we met here in New York. Um, I'm in New York City. Um, We met at I guess it was March or something of that year, 2007 or February and it was like right at the time that I was going to be making all these decisions um like right at the time I was like going out Mm -hmm. to visit and like um I told him like oh I'm probably going to be moving to California he's like oh I just came from there (laughs) (laughs) he just come from LA and um yeah like I don't know we just we started hanging out dating and it was a big de- decision maker uh, for me. Right. I didn't. Wa- I didn't want to. I didn't think. Uh, like I. I afford to because their low residency program. You have to go there once a month, which is great if you're like in LA and you just go up for like a weekend. Um, but I couldn't fly, fly out there once a, month. once a month from New York. I mean, I just like. 100% could not afford to do right. that, um, especially with New York rents being the way they are. Um, and so I that 
decision, you know, that so that was like financial. Um, the other thing was that Karen Miriam Goldberg, who started the Transformative Language Arts Concentration at Goddard, um, and that was the concentration I was planning to go into, called me <laughs> on the phone <laughs> um, because she knew I was accepted and right. she just wanted to chat and, <laughs> like, check in, and she called me. Um, later, I found out that she did this to a lot of <laughs> The new recruits. Um, but it's, you know. It, it felt personal. It, it, is, it does. It felt yeah. incredibly personal. Like, um, I was excited that she was excited about my topic, about mythology. And she had a big background in mythology and mm. feminist mythology. Um, she had ideas for who I might work with, uh on the in the faculty and that was that felt really nice like to, to yeah, feel absolutely. like oh, okay you know I can kind of see how I could do this um and so uh that helped seal the deal and so I so I went up to Goddard and, <laughs> um I guess the rest is history. <laughs> the low residency model that uh, allowed you to be there uh for you know more you know, time in between. So, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So it was like the one week at the beginning of each semester. Sure. Rather than every um, month. And I could still continue my life. In New York <laughs> right? City. That's in right. New York City. Um, yeah. 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 That's, you know, one of the best things about Goddard is having, you know, those people reach out to you and be so personable. And especially when you have a faculty member or, you know, even staff that just um, are inspired um, in what you want to do and who you want to be and, and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, that's, that's such a um, serendipitous kind of moment for you. These big decisions are, you know, um, happening and you're writing about these tragic love elements and thinking about them and blogging them and posting them and having projects on them. And, and you're also like, Hey, Connor's my backup and I like the syllabi and I'm trying to figure out um, what this means. And so, um, you know, it's like, Goddard kind of chose you rather than you kind of choosing Goddard. And I think that's yeah. what a lot of people kind of feel. It's like, I don't know if a lot of our listeners are going to be, uh, yeah, Goddard was my backup. It's more like, oh, how the fuck did I get here? And I still think even though you had that kind of in your mind, it did kind of um, occur for you. And when you found your new partner, um, made sense, mm -hmm. made sense financially and everything like that. So, um sure. Thanks so much for taking us through sort of your introduction to Goddard and, you know, how you made that choice. Um, so I just wanted to hit real quick because, you know, it sounds like you were really into writing even before then, you know, and obviously based upon your studies and your thesis and everything, you were doing a lot of writing when you were at Goddard, which a lot of, um, of us do. Um, I don't know about you, but, but what, I guess, where does that come from? Is that a natural thing where you've always just been kind of a writer that you just cared about expressing yourself that way? Because um, it seems like even in the work you're doing now and where Goddard is taking you, that's kind of a theme, an idea that you kind of go through as well. So um, can you talk a little bit about sort of, you know, your passion for writing and, and, and just exploring those ideas and, and how that kind of comes about? And, and that Yeah, kind of thing? great question. Um, I always kept a diary when I was a little girl. Um, I 
have found some of them over the years <laughs> with a little, like, little lock, like these little mm-hmm. plastic diaries <laughs> that are kind of padded, and then they have the little lock on them that is very easy to break through. <laughs> like, for looks. And... Um, <laughs> For for looks, you know, like, but you feel you felt special. I felt right, special, felt special, like having yeah. the little key. I don't. I don't think my parents ever read my diary. Uh, I don't think my sister ever read my diary. I have two <laughs> sisters, uh, but I shared a room with my younger sister because she was like just a year younger. It it's something that I never really thought about. Um, mm. It's just something I always did, and like write like write stories or write journals. Um, I recently found uh, like just a random old notebook where I was writing about my family, and I took a picture of part of it, like, but not all of it because <laughs> in some of it I was complaining about my younger sister. <laughs> not that she cares now, you know. Like we are, four, I'm forty, she's thirty nine. Like, like it's like I think we're past all of this, but you know, just in case. So, yeah, so so that is something that I have always done. I've always kind of expressed myself through writing. Um, I, I haven't always shared my writing. Um, right. It's usually just a way for me to work things out. And so um, when I was dating John, the, my first love, mm-hmm. um, when we were dating, he gave me the book, The Artist's Way. And... I brought that book with me, and that's a book of, like, different creativity exercises to help you get unblocked as an artist, Um, and it was really popular at the time. It's, like, 1999, and I brought that book with me to Europe. Uh, I was studying abroad in the year of 2002, and I would just have the book with me and pick, you know, read through one of the chapters and, like, pick exercises and do them while I was riding the rails of Europe. <laughs> like, I, was, I would be, like, on the, like, train and kind of just staring out into the window, and I was journaling. And so I have all of that. Like, it's... Beautiful. Um, I, I, I'm, I still have it. That, that is part of what is in my messy storage room <laughs> that we were talking about before we started recording. Um, is all like I've it's it's all on like physical paper, <laughs> like just right. different books. That used to um, happen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, it still does, guys. Like you can <laughs> still, still find books and pens. I bought a bunch of pens recently. Like <laughs> this uh, there's this wonderful book that I was introduced. Uh, actually my mom gave me like this book, it's called Writing Down the Bones. And she gave me this very tiny stocking stuffer version of this book, like, when I was in high school. And um, I didn't read it. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, yeah, that's weird. Um, like, bones, what? I don't want to write bones. Like, I, I wasn't into scary stories. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Thinking of skeletons. Um, and then... Um, at Goddard, they reintroduced me to that book because um, mm, interesting. Carrie and Mir- Miriam Goldberg recommended it as like one of these writing books that I should read if I'm going to learn how to facilitate or you know do writing exercises with other right. people. In the artist's way, one of the practices that you do 
is morning pages. And mm. that is journaling in your journal. Um, three pages, just free writing um, right. in the morning. So it's like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, and don't, you know, it's like don't edit, don't... Censor. Don't censor, don't... Um, don't even think of it as writing because that might get you blocked. And that is a practice that I continue to do. I mean, I've, I've do, so I've done that for like, whatever it is, 20 years or whatever. Um, and it has helped me process. Um, it's just helped me get get stuff out. I find the pen to paper root is actually really help because I'm not looking at what I'm writing um, mm. where if I'm on a computer screen I tend to and I you know the mouse is like very close and I could delete stuff <laughs> <laughs> self-edit too quickly um, but yeah too quickly and like you know just get kind of get blocked and so yeah so so writing is yeah, it's just it's just like a very regular part of my life. Um, yeah, for, I love the uh, yeah. yeah, I love the Ernest Hemingway quote. It's one of my favorite that says, you know, there's nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed. You know, mm, and I love that quote. That's an because, amazing quote. Yeah, it's it's so telling of you know the root, the essence of writing, and how you know it's so connected to um many of us that that just want to express ourselves and figuring out a way to do so whether that's you know ever discussed or given or or shared with others but um to be able to process like you said to work out processes and and to be able to do that and i've always found that as uh you know a really healthy way to work through anything in life that you're going through so Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense what you're saying, Amanda. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> so uh, you know, in that process and talking about all the writing that you've done, and you know, you, you I know um, for you, family and you know, uh, family history and sort of um, being and, and place are really big aspects of of you know having those relationships and and some of that writing um and i know you're doing that today and uh you're doing that with your your business um and so maybe you know we could discuss a little bit about where you are and in, in, in working with others and, and working on uh your business and how you can kind of um help in terms of um others find their family and their history and their relationships and maybe where writing comes into play with that as well or the creation and the innovation of that kind of work and how you got started with that. Sure, yeah. Um, so I, my business um, currently is Family Archive Business, uh, LLC. I started it um, after Curtis and I got married. Uh, we, were, we got married down in Florida where our families live to make it easier for them, but it was also a nice beach vacation for us. <laughs> um, so, you know, it wasn't that much of a sacrifice. Um, but uh, Vacation after, weddings are the best, right? <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. I mean, we just spent the whole week there, and that was like our honeymoon, basically. Right. When we were about to leave, his mom said to me, the next time you come back in town, I want to tell you the story about all these little diff- different things in the house like and she would point at a couple of like vases or bowls or um different family heirlooms and I said okay yeah sure and I had kind of had this experience with her 
with my mother-in-law uh, a couple of years prior. Uh, we, we had gone to Indiana, um, which is where they're from. And we were driving around. I can't. I think Curtis was there. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason he wouldn't have been there, but he doesn't remember this story. Um, <laughs> you don't remember him. <laughs> I, and I don't remember him there like I, it, it, as part of this. So we were driving through like the rural Indiana and she was pointing, my mother-in-law Lee, she was pointing out different places she had grown up, like her, you know, where her high school was, where her mm-hmm. middle school was and, and all of this, like where she used to go um, hang out with her friends. And I said, I, I, I said to Curtis, I'm like, oh, it's so interesting I feel like she's trying to pass these stories down to me um, mm-hmm. as her future daughter-in-law. Um, so when, you know, a couple of years later we got married and she said that about, like, the family heirlooms, I had this thought when Curtis and I were, like, in the airport uh, in Tampa going home. Um, I said, oh, well, we should record these stories, Um and write them down and take pictures and formalize the process um, because she clearly wants to pass this along to us and like your Curtis is like there's he's like one of three uh, boys and um, I don't know I don't know how much they were interested in their mom's history or if she tried to tell them. I think she did, but maybe she didn't feel like um, it had gotten through. <laughs> right. Um, but she just wanted to pass it along to me, and which I felt very honored by as, like, you know, a new member of the family, um, but also, like, the first daughter in her family. Right. And so um, I kind of felt this responsibility to like you know capture this and be able to pass it down so um fast forward a couple of months we bought a bunch of stuff (laughs) Uh, we bought like i mean i've i've always taken pictures too but like i you know i brought my camera we bought like a lighting box and you know different drapes so that we could like photograph these um items on on um blank backgrounds and we recorded their stories about them and then Curtis sat down with his grandmother and recorded like just to record stories with her and I had already started thinking like maybe this is something that we could offer um to other families kind of service and so I continued the business research of that. I met up with, or I joined this group called Personal Historians, which, or Association of Personal Historians, which is no longer in existence. Um, but um, I, I, I met and have met like many people who are alum of that organization, and mm. I started another organization with one of the other alum from. APH um, that is called Biographers Guild of Greater New York, and we're very small, but uh, small but mighty. <laughs> um, and we're we're all professionals in this field. We all work mm. with families, 
um, in different ways to record their stories. Um, for me, my focus was is pretty broad. Um, I wanted to be able to meet people wherever they are in the photo archiving or story archiving process because some people have done a lot of genealogy research but don't right. know how to put it together. Um, or and they have a bunch or some people inherited a bunch of pictures and they don't know what to do with them or how to organize them. Um, how to prioritize organizing them. Um, And so I built my current model based on that, um, on that way of meeting people where they're at. Um, Yeah. What what do you think, Amanda, draws people as an expert in having a business like this? And, you know, I've been doing that myself over the last six months. um, And COVID gave me the opportunity to do it with my wife's family and associating with a trip. And we know that, you know, millions upon millions of people do this. Um, What do you think is the inspiration and draw of that? Like, what are your, if you were to do a, you know, both a 50,000 foot view and then also working individually and independently with these individuals who have maybe pieces or ideas and, you know, and they have elements like genealogy or, Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, family histories that have been word of mouth and talked down or, you know, cultural elements of that, um, that are just, uh, spoken word or, you know, I guess it's, it's one of those things where there's a, you know, what, what, what is your, your thoughts on why um, that's so important to, to human beings in general? And, and what, what do you think they draw from that on? Well, I think most people want a sense to locate themselves in a space and time. And so it, it, most people are not going to put themselves, <laughs> put it that way. But, um, People like to know their lineage mm-hmm. because it is comforting to know that we're not alone, um, that we come from people who have survived worse in a lot mm. of cases. Um, why specifically people start doing their family history, I, I mean, I think sometimes it is because they're, they have relatives that are getting older and they, they know that those stories are important to kind of round out their loca- <laughs> location in the universe. Um, and they're inspired to, to get those stories down. Um, and I think, especially right now, um, in the midst of this pan- global pandemic, I think people want to know how, I mean, how we're going to get through this. Um, mm. the, the, the history would suggest that people have survived plagues mm. <laughs> before. Right. Plagues, wars, displacement. Um, I'm very interested in people whose lives have been uprooted in some way, um, Mm. whether it's through immigration or refugee. Um, And that's kind of where I'm turning um, in my business. Um, 
those families, um, they don't have the same kind of access to genealogy as other families. Um, right. I, I went on Ancestry.com because I was curious about it. Um, and I was able to trace Curtis's. Curtis is white. Um, right. I am Filipino. I, I guess I didn't say that, but <laughs> this is a podcast, like so why would that matter? Um, <laughs> it's important <laughs> for this story. Curtis's family is white. They've been here for a while. Um, and I was able to find a ton of interesting information on his side of the family, um, on his mom's side, on his grandmother's side, um, his, uh, his grandmother's grandfather. Uh, we found some like really cool, interesting parallels of, um, he owned a thrift store. He was a waiter. <laughs> this is like right. in the census. Wow. And, um, Curtis is like, but that's all the stuff I love. <laughs> and so that was like super fun. I know. And we have like one picture of him. Um, <laughs> so it's like really fun to, to see that kind of stuff. When I looked for my side <laughs> of the family, there's basically nothing. Um, oh. And that is partially because there's not a priority to digitize records in the Philippines. Um, and I asked, uh, and they said, no, <laughs> they're like, they're like, well, you know, we have no plans on doing that. Mm. And so, um, it, that it was also when they were starting to do the, the big DNA testing thing right? And, uh, when they were rolling that out. And so I think that's kind of where they've, um, focused their efforts marketing wise and, Budget-wise. So, yeah. So, I know for me, as a Filipino person, uh, first generation, uh, my parents are Im the immigrants. Um, and for other people who are first generation or other generation, but um, whose records have been lost in wars or destroyed. And, um, right. Displacement. You know, African-Americans are, their records get cut off at a you know very specific moment in history mm. um and so i'm interested in that right now like that that's what i'm kind of trying to figure out um you know next steps uh how to how to focus on that how to focus on helping those people tell the stories um whether or not they are the same kind of genealogical stories because they might not be and they might not be able to be. Um, but yeah. yeah um, well, that's the thing that's interesting is like, you know, um, the work you're doing in that regards is so amazing because that, that's a huge gap, right? When you're not looking from a mm -hmm. North American, Anglo-Saxon, you know, white person perspective, um, uh, the displacement and the refugees and the immigration and the oppression and colonialism and all of those kind of things mm -hmm. certainly um, and slavery um, disrupt uh, that sort of placement and knowledge and history mm -hmm. of those families. So filling in that gap is desperately needed. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's um, for me going back to Italy and my wife going back to Ireland and England. Well, mm -hmm. you can just check the church records, right? I mean, they're yes. there, but but for so many people that 
um, have oral histories that have um, causes of you know displacement. And what's interesting is when you talk about the pandemic and mm-hmm. getting through something, you know, we can we can connect to past generations on how that's been gotten through by others, how how those trials and those you know those difficulties and that that violence has mm-hmm. been overcome by our ancestors um, mm-hmm. uh, or by ancestors of, of color, um, and that's. And that's um, a wonderful, ambitious step you're taking, Amanda, and it makes sense to move in that direction. But it, it also seems um, as though, you know, because we had talked about this when we first got to know each other a little bit, how you're going to have to mold and shape that to give an accurate representation while maybe not having all of the uh, very specific evidence. You know, how do we tell the story? Um, how do you work to organize and tell that story while having to fill in the gaps without all the the very specific known you know elements? And so yeah. that's that's um, such a needed gap and hole in in, in in human history that's that's absolutely telling and needed. You know, not not only by you know. Um, those who won the wars, but really by those who mm. suffered in them, right? And sure. and how does how does that get filled and shared, um, so that those families' histories and that those lives can be um, respected and praised and mm-hmm. you know given honor for that. Yeah, and I mean, just because there aren't written records doesn't mean there aren't oral histories, of course. right? And so um, there's, I think that will definitely play a role in. Um, whatever I end up doing <laughs> that, like, that is geared in that direction, um, is encouraging people to get those oral histories uh, right. from their oldest relative, um, because I think that's that's the most important start, you know. And I took a class with a woman who her family history is is based in India. And she went back to India to talk to, like, some of those relatives there that may know more about this particular thing that she was studying, um, that she was trying to, like, do a project about. Um, And it was very fruitful. (laughs) Like, there is, like, different family members that from, but, like, not that she knew, you know, like it's, it's kind of extended family members. And so, um, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely an opportunity to fill in some of those blanks. Um, and there are other historical records that could help fill it in from like a macro scale, like Mm -hmm. maybe from the colonizers, (laughs) like, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, I read this wonderful novel, Homegoing, by Yad Yassi, um, just this year. It came out in 2016, but um, it, I, I just read it this year. And she goes through 400 years of history <laughs> wow. in, like, one novel. Wow. Um, but it's told, it's, it, and it's not that big. I'm like, so how does this work? It's like, you know, eight generations or something like that. She she does it and she she does it from the like Africa side, uh, it's Ghana, um, and the American side, uh, mm. and it's it's fascinating and and it's not it it, it is a novel so it's fictionalized, um, but she tells 
these very specific human stories from what could, what the human experience could have been. I'm not quite sure of all of her sourcing, um, but the macro sourcing is like what was happening in Mm. Ghana at that time. Like who who were were the Ashanti fighting wars against? (laughs) Right. Or, you know, and so, um, yeah. So I think that's like a super interesting way to, to tell a story, you know, like I, I don't think, I don't think all of it has to be completely, I think accurate and true are not always the same. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, like I think you can tell a true embodied experience without it having to actually quote unquote have happened, you know, to mm-hmm. someone specific. Um, but it brings us closer. So this is something, you know, that I've been thinking about with embodied writing and embodied history. Um, it brings us closer to that experience, um, of if you're able to write in that way to, Mm. um, sort of understand what, what the ancestors. That's fascinating. I've never, I've never heard of, um, that phrase embodied, um, writing embodied history. Can you explain mm. a little bit more about that, Amanda, and what that really entails, and what that means, and placement of that, and how that works? Well, I'll start with embodied writing. That is a mm. phrase I heard first at Goddard. That one hundred percent. I took a workshop. There, there are um, featured. What do they call it? Like it's like our keynote of the week. Like our our, our featured guest lecturer or something, <laughs> visiting lecturer. Um, her name, oof, Maria Elena something. <laughs> no, I can't remember her full <laughs> name. But she taught this workshop, writing workshop, on that was called Embodied Writing. Mm-hmm. And she gave us these, um, she gave us this poem, and I wish I had prepared this. Like, I, I can't remember it right now. Um, she gave us this poem that... When you read it, you can taste the coffee, you can taste, you know, the, the way that it's the, described, and you just sort of are in the experience of the speaker of the poem. Mm. Um, and it's done with concrete details, it's done with all five senses, like writing from all five senses. Mm. Um, because a lot of times, uh, I, I definitely have the tendency to analyze, and that's my natural state is like I'm one one or two removed from the experience Um, but writing the experience can say a lot more sometimes um, or at least you know put it into the brain or feel it you know body feeling Mm -hmm. like the reader um and so yeah the the workshop was very eye-opening for me and I uh tried to do that more uh in my when I was writing my thesis not not always successful (laughs) (laughs) I'm still very analytical but I know when I do do that kind of writing, I, I can feel it. I can feel it as I'm writing because I am forced to, like if, it, if I'm writing from like a memory, I'm forced to be inside of it. <laughs> like, mm, to remember, you know, to think about how the, you know, it feels on palm, like the temperature on my face. Mm. Um, 
how a certain thing tastes, if it's mm. sour or sweet uh, or warm or whatever, you know, like the that kind of writing, I think, is like very compelling to, to read and like to write. Right. Um, embodied history is a term I made up. <laughs> <laughs> how very honored of you. And I have purchased the domain names for <laughs> very recently. I probably wow. This time we talked, like which was like a week and a half ago. <laughs> like, um, yeah, no, I had been thinking about it. Oh, it, oh, mm, was because of our Goddard study plan group. Um, mm. I was banging away on that. <laughs> like, maybe I should set this up. Okay, so for those, I think most of the like listeners are going to know what a study plan is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we all had to do them right at Goddard. Um, but at alumni weekend this past alumni weekend, uh, 2020, uh, Justin uh, Kagan. So he led our, uh, he led a session on how to write a study plan for, for alumni um, specifically uh, because a lot of, you know, most of us are not in school anymore, but most of us have things that we're interested in, right. like our, you know, lifelong learning. Lifelong learning. Um, there you go. Um, and so I had like three, what I felt were disparate topics that I was interested in, and I couldn't figure out how to put them together. And that was something that Justin had recommended us all do. Like, if you're interested in different things, like, just reflect on them and think about, like, the tie that you could put to, to all of them. And so I, I couldn't do it. I would be on our, like, Goddard work groups, and <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. And um, finally, I was looking at some old writing I was looking at this workshop that I did with another Goddard grad uh, last year. I think it was last April or May or something um, at her space called Moving Body Resources. Um, Her name is Mary Abrams. I'm hoping we have her as a guest um, soon. Absolutely. So she she was she works in continuum somatic movement. That's her jam <laughs> and um she wanted us uh, we're friends and so like she she wanted to see if we could do something together work on something together um to offer and i thought about because she 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 works with like you know f- f- kind of family trauma and how it might sit in you and how to work mm. through it and all of that and i was thinking about um writing and how to draw stories out but I wanted a a new angle because there are a a bunch of people who do that kind of work right um and then I came up with the idea of writing an embodied history and my reasoning for that or the way I described it was embodied writing brings the reader near to whatever the writer is writing about to their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the, the workshop was called engaging with our ancestors or engaging with your ancestors. Mm. Um, 
And I said, if we're writing an embodied history, what that would mean would be trying to see the experience of our ancestors through their eyes. Um, and so if you are, and through their like, you know, lived experience. And so um, if your Casey, your family comes from Italy, which is a you know, very diverse country. Like, you know, like, is it the, is it the mountains of Italy? I know this because I love Italian food and like, I have this like regional <laughs> Italian cookbook and, um, I look at it and I'm like the, the cooking in like Trieste is like so, so different from right. Sicilia, you know, right. <laughs> it's like, inc- there's like, so, there's so much history just in each region. And mm-hmm. so like my, um, I would encourage, you know, someone who was, you know, writing about their Italian ancestor, like, for, first of all, what, what part of Italy, because right. it's like all, you know, this conglomerate of states before, right? Like it wasn't like mm-hmm. a unified country for pretty long time (laughs) since the fall of rome (laughs) yeah so like like, right and rome was way bigger (laughs) than what italy is um but like so so what's their you know like are they a farmer or do they work in this city you know or whatever Mm. the city looks like and then like what did they eat every day like um and I think, you know, by trying to get to those details, we get a better understanding mm-hmm. of our ancestors' experience. And, you know, it's like I, I told you that I'm, like, interested in sort of filling in the gaps for people who don't have genealogy to rely on. But, I, I mean, I do think that it could apply to... right you know, people who do, <laughs> you know, like, I think it, you know, it makes your family history more interesting. Yeah. Telling that story, right. That mm-hmm. story is so important as the reality. And, and like you said, um, what did you say? The truth and the, you know, you didn't say evidence, but, you know, finding, you know, what that story is, you know, encapsulating and looking like and, and what those perceptions of those times and what was occurring in the, the history and then uh, placing that as part of the story of maybe what evidence you do or, or don't have those gaps and, and trying to sort of connect what we're searching to get out of, you know, being a part of that, that history and the work you're doing, you know, and organizing that, um, it's really special and really remarkable work, Amanda. And I'm so proud that you're doing it. It's really exciting. So um, we only have a couple of minutes left. Um, okay. So I just wanted to uh, conclude here and say um, how excited we are to um, have you as a co-host and founder of this podcast. And on Alumni Council, your your work over the last, what, four years, three, four years has been just incredible uh, with the alumni. And um been so excited to see you on the regional chapters. And you're just so, so involved in, in so much work. And I'm just so honored um, to be able to learn from you and, and grow with you in this process. And um, this is only part one of two. We'll have to have Amanda back for more of her family history and living in New York <laughs> City and what it was like going through 
after COVID and all of those kind of things. This is just intro uh, for podcast one for Amanda, but we'll have more parts in the future. Thank you, Amanda, for joining us today. And um, for all of our listeners, please stay uh, uh, tuned for our uh, post-interview portion of our, our podcast, where we're going to break down what's new and upcoming and what's happening at Goddard um, So and with the alumni. So thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us today. Thank you, Casey. Thanks for listening to our interview with Amanda Faye Laxon. Please find out more information about what Amanda is doing in the show notes. Also, make sure to sign up and register at GoddardAlumni.com and check out many of the projects we're currently working on. Some of the projects are creating your own study plan, and uh, we have a group for that to accountability buddies. Um, the Alumni Ambassador Program, where you can volunteer to talk to prospective students about Goddard College. And the Alumni Weekend Committee is currently seeking Goddard artists to submit designs for the 2021 Alumni Weekend logo. Thanks everyone for listening and see you next time. This podcast is a project of Goddard Alumni Council. It is produced and hosted by Casey Corona and Amanda Faye Laxon. It is edited by Amanda Faye Laxon. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast or would like more information, please visit GoddardAlumni.com slash podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. See you next time.
This podcast is a project of Goddard Alumni Council. It is produced and hosted by Casey Corona and Amanda Faye Laxon. It is edited by Amanda Faye Laxon. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast or would like more information, please visit goddardalumni.com slash podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. See you next time.